Got to let her go. Amen. And there's no holding a good lady back. Amen. This, see, this is when I get to speak throughout the week, is here at church, because at the uh, house, uh, there's a lot of lady talk, so... No, I'm I'm playing a little bit, just a little bit, but not really. There's a lot of truth to that. Um, well, I'm glad to be in the house of God again and uh, share with you out of the Word of God. Those of you joining us online, we want to welcome you as well. I'd like for everybody to open your Bibles today, the book of Psalms, uh, particularly Psalm chapter 128. We started there last week. In fact, we looked at the first two verses of scripture. And uh, while you're turning there, Psalm 128, I heard today, or heard this week about a man who had a wall in his house that had developed a crack. And so he calls a painter in to come and repair the wall, and he repairs the crack, he paints the crack, and in less than a month, he's looking at the very same wall where he just had it repaired, and uh, the problem reappears. And so he calls the painter again, brings the painter back over, and he comes over and he repairs it again. And a month and a half later, same problem. Except this time, the crack brought along all his brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and cousins. I mean, it was cracks upon cracks. And so he thought, you know, well, maybe I should get somebody else to come and look at it. So he calls a different painter. And this guy comes over, and he said he just stares at his wall for the longest time. And he looks really, really long at it. And then he turns to him, and he said, I can't help you. And he said, now wait, what do you mean you can't help me? You're a painter. You fix cracks, right? And he says, yeah, the crack's not your problem. He's saying, hold on. You see the crack? I see the crack. The crack is my problem. And the painter was like, no, the problem is your foundation is shifting. It's the symptom of the problem. The crack is not the problem. The foundation's the problem. And until you get that foundation fixed, you're going to keep having the crack problem. America's problem is our foundation has shifted. It's moved away from solid ground. And now it's sitting on shifting sand in so many ways. You see, nothing demonstrates the decline of our world like the demise of the family. Our homes have all these cracks in them. They're divorce cracks. They're neglect cracks. They're immorality cracks. They're abuse cracks. There are debt cracks. Today we have a skyrocket of identity cracks. And it's gotten even so bad that the cracks are cracked. Kind of like the guy's house. 
there is this invasion of the destruction of the home, of the family, of gender even. 50% of all marriages, including Christian marriages, end in divorce. And the largest percentage of the 50% who aren't divorced are living unhappily, but they stay together for the kids and finances. You see, marriage and family are on the decline because our foundation is wrong. Our foundation is, is shifted. And we've seen the statistics, but, but we're, we're spending a lot of personal money and a lot of government money to patch up cracks on the wall. And for a while, they appear to be patched up, only to discover, given enough time, the cracks just keep on appearing. Can I get an amen? We're talking today about men of the kingdom, and I've titled this Men of the Kingdom Family. Family. Everybody say, my family. The first thing I want you to see is go back to Psalm 128. We looked at this last week. It says, how blessed, verse 1, is everyone who fears the Lord. Say this, the fear of the Lord. To fear the Lord means you have a, a, a dread of Him and a reverence of Him at the same time. They're both coupled together. And you know that you fear the Lord, I said last week, because you what? Walk in His ways, part two. You see, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, and you know you fear the Lord if you walk in His ways, not your ways. Now watch this. Blessed are you when you shall eat the fruit of your hands. You will be happy. Those are finances. You will be happy. Those are feelings. And it will be well with you. That's your future. You see, your finances will be good if you fear the Lord. He gets the first right off the top. Your feelings will be where they're at and where they need to be because you're not going to be controlled by the world or the things going on around you. You're going to be fearing God. And because you have your fear in God, you are going to not be losing your mind. And your future is going to be secure because you are following the one who holds the future in his hand. Now, that's just a nutshell of what we looked at last week. We talked about alignment. We wanted to know, are, you, are we in line? Is our, our, is our vehicle uh, swerving down the highway? Are, are our wheels out of balance and, and shifting and shaking? And so the first thing we're looking at as we talk about the kingdom man and his family is that we, we, we want to know, first of all, we've got to be walking with God. We've got to be fearing God. We've got to be aligning with God because the, the kingdom man personally fears God. Can you say amen to that? I mean, really, the first group, the very first group that ought to know that you take God seriously isn't the church house. It's your house. 
Because here's the news that I want to share with you today. The church house is affected by your house. You see, God did not create the church first. He created the home first. He created marriage as the very first institution before he created government. Amen? Now, the very first group that ought to know you're a man of God or that you're a man of the kingdom of God is your own house. Among your family, in your own home, if they don't know it, church, listen to me, then it doesn't matter what everybody else thinks. Because a man of the kingdom is a man of God at home first. That's where it flows out of. And see, the saga of our nation is the saga of families written large. And as we've already said, the, 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 the first concern should not be the White House. The first concern should be our house. And what you're doing to make your home a kingdom place. Amen? So, let's look at how the home was established. Let's just start there. God, before He ever created Adam or Eve, says this in Genesis 1. He says, let us make man in our image and in our likeness, and the Bible says we're going to bless them, and that man and woman will have dominion over the whole earth. Amen? Genesis chapter 1. Let's go ahead and, and turn back there. I don't think I put it up on your uh, announcement. The Bible says there in verse 26 of Genesis 1, God said, Let us make man in our image according to, the like, and according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now, we've, we've looked, I've taught a message called Men of the Kingdom, Dominion. We, we've looked at that, amen? That's, that's where God had it in his mind before he ever made man, that man would be ruler on the planet. We would rule over animals, amen? Dog comes up to you, wants to take your foot off. You have dominion over that dog. Ladies, if there's a mouse in the house, you've got dominion over that thing. If there's a spider on the wall, you just take that shoe and you take control of the spider. Amen? And so God said we would subdue the earth, have dominion, or rule with authority. That's what dominion is. It is to have rule with authority. And God says we're going to give that to them. But here's how we're going to give it. We're going to give it to them, male and female. The man is going to be the lead because that was the order of creation that God chose. And he created Adam before Eve because he is to lead. 
But he's not to do it alone. Because God said it's not good for him to be alone. And is it any wonder today, church, that the devil has been after the family since the garden? And he's still after it today. That's our problem. The devil wants to take out our kids. The devil wants to take out our family. The devil wants to, men, he wants to take out your wife. Wives, he wants to take out your husband. And young people, he wants to take out your mom and dad. So, when God made woman, I've talked about this, he had to put Adam into a deep sleep, and he performed the first surgery, and what happened is, is when he put him to sleep, the Bible says that he fashioned woman. Now, I made a point of this, that out of the ground, God formed the animals, he formed all that, he drew into the ground the form of the man, blew into his nostrils the breath of life, but when it comes to making woman, she's fashioned. Unlike anything, he created everything else. He fashioned her. He formed her out of man. And what had to happen is, in order for Adam to get the woman, he had to give up something. How many of you know what it was? His rib. He had to give up a rib. I think that's why guys, we like ribs so much. We, you know, ribs are just, that's, we like that, we like that meal. We can't get enough ribs. We, we lost some. We, and, and Adam became, literally, he became half the man he used to be because he's given up part of himself to receive unto himself that part that wasn't there. And, guys, I want you to understand, the woman that God gave you, if you will look at her that way, valuable, a part of you that you didn't have, it will begin to start changing homes. Amen? He gave up part of himself in order to have the woman. In other words, in order to get his rib back, he had to be willing to take on more than the rib he lost. He lost a rib, so if you want that part of you that you lost back, you're going to have to get other things added to that rib that you didn't have when you lost it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? God took the rib that was in Adam and made something that he didn't have so he could have it. But it cost him something. You see, he's not just supposed to have what he had. He's supposed to have what he did not have. Which is why she's called in Genesis a helper, not a taker over. Everybody say, a helper. Now, I'm not really trying to create chaos and family. I'm just trying to tell you what, how God organized it. See, here's the problem is America, this sounds so odd to some people because America has, the foundation shifted so far, we don't even know what it means to be a husband and a wife, according to the Word of God. She is called a helper in Genesis because she's supposed to bring to the table that which man did not have of his own, but also complete what man lost. 
What many men don't understand is when she, you know, she's not a, she is, she is not a collaborator. She is to be viewed as a companion. You know? She's not just a cook, a dishwasher, and a, a, a child bearer. She's to compliment. She's to do what you can't do or what you need help to do. So in other words, guys, what I'm saying is if you're married and you have a wife, you need her just like she needs you because God said it's not good for him to be alone. So God did not, or rather let me say it this way, God created the family not first of all, for you to be happy or for you to just have a companion. Those are bonuses. What God did is he created the family to literally expand his rule in history through you because he said, you're going to dominate, you're going to rule, you're going to subdue. Adam, you can't do that without yourself. And it's amazing to me that what he did is he created a He created something that wasn't there. Adam had the man parts, but he couldn't create without the woman. The cows could, the horses could, all the animals were male and female, but man was just male. You see, why are we having to go back to the beginning? Because we've drifted so far. God created man and woman, and the two, man and woman, shall become one flesh. Family. Are you with me? So, what's happened is, when you lose sight of the kingdom, and and all you're thinking about is your happiness, and so many people go into marriage, and what they're really looking for is their happiness... What happens is, is you, if you look for your happiness and feeling good and all of that, then what you have done is you have dumbed down the reason for why God started it all in the first place. Are you with me? Can you see this? God is a trinity, triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Now, guess what? These three are one. And then God says, the two shall become one. Now, watch this. So he takes the rib out of the man, fashions a woman, and tells them they will become one flesh. And God fashions within her a womb That is a part of what makes a woman a woman, womb, womb, woman. And then God creates the process whereby the woman can bear a child that has the DNA of both the man and the woman. Do you see it? And man, woman, and child looks a lot like father, 
Son, and Holy Spirit. The three now should be one. But what does the devil do? He comes in to separate the child from the parents. And sometimes I've even seen he has the child and mom against the dad. Or I've seen he has the dad and the child against the mom. There's an unlimited amount of ways the devil operates. But you hear what I'm saying and see what I'm saying. The devil comes in and what he wants to do, what is his, what is his calling? What does he do? He seeks to kill, to steal, and to destroy. Kill the family. Kill the family unit. Take them out. Make something different than what God made. God made man and woman. That's it. Case closed. That makes marriage. Doesn't matter if you try to redefine it. Doesn't matter if you try to change a law. Doesn't matter if you are successful in changing the law. It never changes God's way. Because a family is man, woman, child. So, the very first people who should know that you're a man of the kingdom is your family. Now, let's go back to Psalm 128. Are you getting anything yet? Look at verse 3. Now, after you have, you fear the Lord, you walk in His way, He's taking care of your, your finances, feelings, and future, it says that your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house. We're going to stop there for a minute. Why will she be a fruitful vine in your house? Because you fulfill verses 1 and 2. You fear the Lord and walk in His way. She can fulfill her calling when you fulfill your calling. You see, you fear God and you walk like you fear God. And because you fear God, your wife is going to flourish in your home. I'm talking about fixing the foundation. In order to fix the foundation of the family, you have to fix the marriage. The marriage in the Bible is called a covenant. In Malachi chapter 2 and verse 14, it's called a covenant. It's not merely a social contract. A covenant is a spiritually binding relationship. Let's go ahead and, and flip back over there real quick to the book of Malachi. I don't even think I've got that scripture up there either, but... Malachi chapter 2 and verse 14. Do you know what the difference between a covenant and a contract is? A contract can be broken. There can be clauses in there that if you don't do this, a rental, rental contract. If you don't pay this by such and such a date, then we have the right to do whatever by such a are you seeing what I'm saying? A contract means if you do, then I will do. If you don't do, then I will do this. But it says, yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth against whom you have dealt treacherously, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. God was... Uh, really coming down on some of these people, the way they were handling and dealing with their wives, 
um, because some of them had put them away with divorce for unlawful reasons. Amen? So, the marriage is a covenant, not merely a social contract, because a, a covenant is a spiritually binding relationship brought about by God. And the Bible says, in the sight of God, when you get married, what happens is, you'll hear that it's at marriage, what God, finish it out, what God has joined together, let no man, including the man standing there and the woman standing there, put asunder. Let them not separate it. Have you ever thought about this? Why do people want to get married in the church? Possibly even people that don't go to church. I've known many people want to get married in the church. They don't go to church. But they want to marry in a church. People want to get married in a church even though there are not, they're not saved or go to church because they know that there's something holy about marriage. That is still there. Even today, they, it, it's still there. Now, not everybody, but many people want to get married in a church. But what happens is, a lot of times, the people who have even gotten married in the church, and they've started out in the church, they leave God right there in the church when they leave to go on their honeymoon, and from there on forth. They go on their way, leaving God out of the picture. But everything about the wedding was under God. Do you see what I'm saying? What he says is, I want the fear of God to be part of the marriage. God is saying, I want you to fear me and walk in my ways, and when you do, your marriage is going to be good. But we live in a day today where marriage is taken lightly. It's thrown away easily. It's been redefined. I heard one man say marriage was like a three-ring circus. There was the engagement ring. There was the wedding ring. And now there's the suffer ring. Another guy says, I was looking for the ideal, but it became an ordeal. And so now I want a new deal. I know that is kind of tongue-in-cheek, but those are kind of, that's kind of where we are. And they've become dissatisfied in the relationship, and that shows up in so many ways. Uh, there was a man sitting next to another man on an airplane, and he, he noticed this guy had his wedding ring on his right hand, ring finger on his right hand. So he says, sir, are you married? And he says, yes, I am. He said, but your, your wedding ring is on the wrong, wrong hand. And he said, no, it's not. I married the wrong woman. That's the kind of comments we're getting on marriage. That's where marriage is today. 
in so many places. See, many people feel like, boy, listen to me like you got four ears on your head. They feel like they married the wrong person. Oh, the devil, he'll come to you and say, yeah, you married the wrong person. I just want to take you back to your wedding vows. Can I, can I let you in on a little secret? Next wedding you go to, the guest book, do you know what that's really for? It's a witness book. Those are all the witnesses that came to your holy ceremony to see you united in marriage with the person you married, and they're literally supposed to be the ones that say, if you say, I think I married the wrong person, they're the ones that are supposed to step up and go, oh, no, you're not. I'm not going to let you do that. I'm going to keep you to your covenant. I was there that day. I signed your guest book. I'm a witness. Do you know that's really what it was for? Now it's just a little memento of, oh, these are the people that came, and we want to make sure we send thank you cards for the gifts that we received from them. It's not what it's about. When you go to a wedding and you agree, and when if there's an opportunity to say, if there's anybody that can see a reason why these two people should not be married, let them speak now or forever hold their peace. Not that you want to go mess up a wedding, but if they're not, shouldn't be together. Think about this, church. Would it be worth the embarrassment on wedding day to not follow through with a wedding that you should not do? or wait three years and divorce? Just a thought. Which is better in the eyes of God? So make sure before you're ever married that you don't marry the wrong person. But once you're married, God wants you together, and you got to work through it. Amen? Amen? All those been married 25 years or more, you know what I'm talking about? You've gone through some stuff. So God says, in order for your wife to be a fruitful vine, you've got to be a man that fears God and walks after his ways. Now, guys, listen to me on what I'm saying on that. When you become a man of God's kingdom, look this way, and you fear God, changes will begin to occur in your wife. You say, Pastor, what do you mean? She'll become what she is not. You say, well, you don't know my wife. You don't know where she's at. Well, let me say this to you. If your wife is not where she should be, according to the Word of God, then the problem may be the temperature you, as the man, are setting in the home. You see, you're the thermostat. She's the thermometer. You're supposed to set the temperature. She's supposed to show you what the temperature is. She gives you the reading, so to speak. So listen, if you want a summer wife, you cannot bring home winter weather all the time. Hello. Hello. 
See, what you got to do is create an environment in which she can flourish. And I want to ask you this question. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ and you're not quite what you want to be? Anybody in the house? You haven't reached perfection yet and you are still changing? How do you change? The bridegroom changes you. He sets the temperature. He sets the thermostat. Guess how he sets the thermostat? He already wrote it out. He already wrote out what the thermostat's supposed to be when it comes to uh, should this person be killed or should this person live? Well, you don't commit murder. That person should live. Are you with me? You don't commit adultery. Well, then, so what does it mean? Should I, should I just be physically just with my wife or can I maybe veer off a little bit? No. Thermostat says adultery's wrong. So thermostat says wife only, husband only. Come on, church. See what I'm saying? Thermostat, uh, can, I take, can I take some stuff from the office that nobody will really know about? They're not going to miss it, and I need it. Can I take it? And God said, it, it, you can't steal. Well, my neighbor got a new house, and man, I, I'm really jealous. I really want, I want a house just like I. Well, how about that? Uh, you shall not covet. You see, God set the thermostat, and what we're supposed to do as Christians is we're supposed to show the temperature and not be afraid that that's what the thermostat says. The Bible says, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Now, let me kind of start putting the caboose on this. What that means is a fruitful vine... A grape vineyard is what this is referring to. And a vine becomes fruitful when three things happen. Number one, first of all, it's got to cling. It's got to cling. If you visit a grape vineyard, you will see the vines are tied up on a post because if they're not, they will drag on the ground. And if those vines drag on the ground, they won't get full sunlight and they will also get trampled underfoot and will not receive the full benefit of the nourishment that they need. So you got to tie them up onto a post. So what they do is they take the vine and they lift it up. They lift them up, they elevate them so that they are high and made secure on the post. That's what our wife should be. She's a vine. She needs to be lifted up. She needs to be elevated. Secondly, they've got to climb. After they cling, they climb. In other words, now, because they're getting what they need, they're going to begin to spread on the post. And because they are stable and they're secure, they're clinging on the post and they're beginning to make fruit. And then they can climb along that post. And when they climb along that post, number three comes in, they cluster on that post. So now you have a cluster of grapes. You have a fruitful vine. All because you feared God and walked in His ways. What God is saying here in verse 3 is that when you create a stable environment based on your fear of God as the husband, as the man in the home, your wife becomes secure, and because of that, then she will begin to flourish. But what is further, it's further saying is that your wife can be turned into something she is not now 
because you make the choice to fear God and walk in his ways and you begin to apply those ways in your home because you're a man of the kingdom in your home, not just at church. See, the Apostle Paul talks about this in Ephesians 5.25. Look at this verse. He says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. In other words, we're to love our wives like our Savior. Everybody say Savior. He is our Savior. We are to love her like a Savior. What did the Savior do for us? He died on the cross for us. He gave himself up. He gave his rights up in order to be a savior to her. So what does a savior do? He sacrifices. So Jesus, as he died on the cross, he gave up something just like Adam did. He gave up that rib in order to get something. What Jesus did is he gave up himself in order to get us. If you want to have a better relationship with your wife, and she's not where you want her to be, then start doing whatever it takes to sacrifice for her, for her to be what she ought to be. Listen to this. Guys, I I haven't even begun to talk to ladies, so, you know, we're five weeks into this, and I know you're like, man, you know what, would he just stop already? Well, I'll stop when I'm done, when the Lord is done. But here's, here's one thing we all need to do as men. Listen to it. All of us need to do this. If you will make a list of all that you do for your wife, over here, and you will make a list of all she does for you over here, if her list is longer than your list, she's the Savior. You should be out sacrificing her, out serving her. Do you know the Bible even says we need to try to out-love one another? Literally, literally, the only competition in the church ought to be out-loving one another. Serve one another. You want to be great in the kingdom of God? What does Jesus say? Serve. Serve. Now look at verse uh, 26. So that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. In other words, you're to love your wife like a sanctifier, a savior and a sanctifier. Do you see this? It is to be, to be sanctified means that you are being taken from where you currently are to where you want to be. That's what Jesus does with us. How many would raise your hands and say, you are where Jesus wants you to be in your walk with him? Or are you in the process of getting there? Are you on the way? Are you still changing? Are you still improving? Is he still drawing you? Is he still saying, hey, let's bring, come up here. And so see, if guys, if we will look at this, what what happens is to be sanctified, you're being taken from where you currently are and being placed into a place where you ought to be. And church, that is a process of change. 
that takes place. When you are converted, you enter into a process of spiritual development to change you. God wants to change you, amen? And so the process is called sanctification. The husband's relationship with the wife here in in Ephesians 5 is likened to this. He says a man is to sanctify his wife. In other words, he is to oversee her change. And sanctification involves investment. So a person will become what they need to become. Now look at verse 28. Paul says, you're to be your wife's satisfier. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. In other words, what this is saying is this is not just about you. If you will think about her, boy, listen to me. If you will think about her every time you think about you, man, you got a win-win. You have a win-win. It will never only be about you if you think about her too. When she discovers that she's that valuable, when she discovers that she's that meaningful, you'll begin to see the full impact of the two of you together as one and what you can do on earth. When you ask her what she thinks about a situation, when you ask her, "Hun, would you weigh in on this situation, on this decision that needs to be made? Now, guys, you still have the responsibility to make the final decision. But you haven't short-circuited her. Don't come home with that new car without saying, Honey, can we get a car? Do you like it? What do you like? Let's drive it together. How many of you guys would, would not feel too good if, you know, a brand big purchase like that? Or, hey, babe, I bought a new house. I want you to come look at the new house. It's really, really nice. It's got all this really cool stuff. And she goes in and is like, what in the world? But you know what, church? That's where so many marriages are. And there's financial problems because there's no fear of God. Pro- uh, there's no fear of God. You see, things are out of whack. Things are out. But, but the guy will go, but hey, but hey, pastor, listen, she is so emotional. Can I get an amen? She is so emotional. You guys aren't going to say a word, are you? I mean, you're stand, sitting there right beside your wife. Can I just say that? Can I say this? Those are the ingredients that God put into a woman. Because he wants, he wants that to be put into the final equation. He wants her intuition. He wants her feeling. Men don't feel the same things women do. Now, we may logic our way through it, but but don't ignore the feelings of your wife because the feelings may have additional information that you don't pick up on as a man. 
And guys, there are times a man knows some things you don't know. I haven't got to you yet, but I'm just saying, sometimes the guy, you know, he doesn't feel like he can go do and be what he, because the things he thinks or decide or talks about or his ideas, sometimes they get kicked down to the ground and smushed so many times, he's like, man, why even try? And that's where all the men said, amen. See, not a one of you. Here's my point. When a woman, your wife, discovers that she's necessary, that's when you get to have dominion. And when you begin to do that, you'll begin to see things change. Do you know that 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7 has some very strong words? Let me just say basically what it says in a nutshell. If you're in conflict constantly with your wife, you may as well hang up praying to God because you're not listening. The Bible says that if you are in constant conflict with your wife like that, God in heaven will not hear your prayers. In fact, let's go ahead and look at that one real quick. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. Are you getting something out of this today? We got that? You husbands, likewise, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker vessel, since she is a woman, and grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, that doesn't mean she's some kind of an inferior human being. It means the way God has made us. Again, that's where that emotional thing comes up. She's just so emotional, she just doesn't really think through all these things. We have to listen. We have to be understanding. We have to, we have to, if we are, listen, if we're fearing God and we're walking according to His ways, we will walk in an understanding way with our wife. We may not understand everything about her. I'm not saying that. But it says, show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Why should I do that? So your prayers won't be hindered. Because if you don't do that, your prayers are going to be hindered. And the last thing of Psalm 128, verse 3, the last part of that verse says, it says that your children will be like olive plant, an olive plant around your table. Now listen to this. Every parent in the room, hear what I'm about to say to you today. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house, and your children will be like olive plants. Notice it doesn't say trees. It says plants. Olive plants around your table. Did you know that it takes 15 years for an olive plant to become an olive tree? But if you nurture it right, hear this, that olive tree will produce olives for over 2,000 years. In fact, if you go over to Israel, you can go to the Garden of Gethsemane. You can go to the Mount of Olives. That's what it's called. That's where the Garden of Gethsemane is. And they have 2,000-year-old they have olive trees that are still 
producing olives. In fact, listen to this. When we were there in 1997, and they took us to the Garden of Gethsemane, they said some of the trees that are still here were here when Jesus prayed before he went to the cross. All because the roots run deep. America has a crisis with our children today because many of them don't have roots that run deep. Some of the reason for that is because no one is overseeing that plant. It's not all the reasons, but others have deep roots or don't have deep roots because the devil is deceiving them, just like he did in the garden, just like he did with Cain and Abel. He deceived Eve. Adam sinned willfully. Cain and Abel knew the right way to live. Abel chose the right way. Cain said, I'm taking him out because I'm jealous of him, and he killed him. The enemy is in an all-out war against our children today. He's offering up so many distractions and so many deceptions while the number of millennials and, and Generation Z young people are drifting away from the church. We have a generation of young people whose consciences are all out of whack, sometimes because no one is there to show them the right from the wrong. Sometimes it's because the father is not in the home setting, so the conscience and the value system, the rights and the wrongs for the children, they're getting them from Facebook, they're getting them from TikTok, they're getting them from MTV, they're getting them from the movies, they're getting them from the internet, they're getting them most of all from their peer group and universities. And a continuing secular society and people wonder why are our young people acting like they are? Well, they're acting like they are because the roots are not running deep. You see, but how do you do this? Let's go back to that verse because there's a key in it. It's the last three words. Pastor, how do I do this as a man? How do I do this as a father? In a world where fatherless is the norm, around your table. Family dinner's gone. In so many homes. God said, speak of me when you go about your way, when you're in your home, around the table, your wife will be like a fruitful vine. Your kids will be like olive plants. And it's all going to happen around your table. The table is the place for kingdom man to take charge. Do you see? It didn't say the church. It said the table. What happens is, is you make sure you teach your children about right and wrong. You ask your wife, listen, hun, are there any issues? 
When you come home, are there any issues going on with any of the children that I need to address? Because especially when they're young, when dad comes home, total different kid. Right? Well, let me tell you this. Whoever owns the family owns the future. Satan is not trying to destroy the family just to make people unhappy. Satan's trying to destroy the family because he's trying to kill the future. You see, our future is being destroyed because our families are being destroyed. And we just need men of the kingdom who will arise. A mother on her own, listen to me, trying to raise a family still can't be a father. You need them both. See, see, moms, listen to me, and I love you, but listen to me. You've got a heart of a mom, and boy, those kids, they, they, they know how to play the fiddle. They can play the emotions. They know how to look at you. And the dad, he's, he's emotional, yeah, but not quite like that. He's got an analytical side of him that you need him to use to get a hold of that child in a way you can't. Guys, do you know what I'm talking about? See, that's what's missing in our single-family mom-raised homes. And, I, and, I'm, I, and I, I pray for that mom. I, I believe that God wants to, to be right in the middle and be the missing dad. But there are some things our daughters need that only dads can give them. So that they're not believing some smooth-talking fool, you know, who whispers in their ears and lies to them and wants to deceive them and to destroy them. And and, and one last thing, because I know some of you are here. You say, Pastor, but what have I done? Everything you've mentioned. And I still have children that are away from God. I would say to you this. God, the Father, understands better than anyone. First of all, the devil wants to kill. He wants to steal and he wants to destroy. And he will do that in any means he can as long as you're on this earth. He's going to try to kill from you, steal from you, and destroy from you. But he said, I've given you authority. And you stand up and you begin to pray. You just pray, even though they may be away. You just keep praying for them. You pray that hedge of protection over them. Now listen, they ultimately have the choice as to what they're going to do. But I want to tell you something. There is power in prayer. When, when, when Peter, when Peter he, he said, Lord, I'm going to stand with you if everybody else leaves you. And Jesus said, no, you're going to deny me actually three times that you ever even knew me before a chicken begins to crow. But I've prayed for you. He actually said this, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. 
Can you imagine that? Satan coming to Jesus saying, I demand he's going he's to come down on you. He said, he's going to try to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. And this is what Jesus said, even before Peter did it. He said, I have prayed for you, and when once you turn again, you're going to strengthen the brethren. And you know what Peter became? He became the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. It began in the garden with Adam and Eve. Create division between the husband and wife. Create division in the marriage. It continued out in the field. Create division between the kids, Cain and Abel. Cain murders Abel. Even Jesus deals with 12 disciples, and one of them chooses the devil. Jesus... Jesus had Judas, and he's traveling with him for three years just like the other guys did. It's just like parents, you raise all these kids, you raise them the same, you're teaching them the same, you're saying the same thing, you're, 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 you're saying the same thing. One chooses, one chooses not. He chose to betray Jesus. Now listen to this, even after he knew he did wrong. This is just a bad news story from the, from, from the beginning to the end. I'm sorry to announce this one, but Judas was sorry. He took the money and he threw it back and he said, I don't want it. I can't. I, I'm, I'm, I'm betraying innocent blood. And they said, you know what? You deal with that yourself. Deal's done. Do you know what Judas could have done? He could have done what Peter did, but he didn't. He killed himself. He chose not to repent. So here, here's the deal. In church, I know I'm, I'm going a little long, but listen. We dads need to hear this. Once you've done, as a father, what God has instructed you to do, and those children are not adults, they, not you, are responsible for their choices. Judas, not Jesus, was responsible for Judas. You keep praying for him, you keep believing for him, but when it comes down to the end, you have done your part, and you have raised them to know what God's Word says is right and wrong according to God, you've done what a kingdom man is called to do. Now, hear the last word of the Lord in Ezekiel 18. I think I've got this scripture. The person who sins, that's the person who will die. The son will not bear the punishment for the father's iniquity, nor will the father bear the punishment for the sin's iniquity, or the son's iniquity. The righteousness of the righteous will be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked will be upon himself. What this is saying is this. You're responsible for you, and after you've done all, you stand, and they're responsible for them. Did you get something out of this today? This is the word of the Lord. 
Do you guys see that it's not all peaches and cream? It's not all spice cake and cream cheese frosting. But we need all of it. And here's the thing about God is as a father, man, he relates. He gets it. He understands. Because Jesus is called the bridegroom, the church is called the bride. How many of you know the church is not always what it needs to be? So, I think we have about one more area we're going to look at, and then uh, two weeks we'll get start talking a little bit with the women of the kingdom. This is where we are in America, and this is the cure. I mean, I just can't get away from what Jesus said when he came to the earth. He just said, I came to bring the kingdom. And man, when he started walking in that invisible world, bringing it into the visible, people were like, whoa, this is awesome. In a church it is. Bow with me today. Father, thank you for hearing the heart cry of men today, of husbands today. I know, Lord, that you've been hearing our prayers, and I know, Lord, that you've been speaking to us your truth and your word. I pray, Lord, that we would gather everything that you've been given us. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would learn from it, grow from it, and put it into action in our life. I pray, Lord, for every man, every woman in this place, every husband and every wife. I pray, Lord, for strength in their marriages. I pray, Lord God, that you would give them wisdom in the way they talk with one another and deal with one another. I pray, Lord, that there is love, honor, respect, and the fear of God uppermost. Father, I pray that you'd be with our families in America. I pray that you'd begin the change in our homes. Father, changing through the church, and Lord, let it go, far, go out through the world from there, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. I love you guys. Thank you so much for being with us today. We'll see you next Sunday. In the morning when I rise In the morning when I rise In the morning when I rise